I'll invite you to take your copy of the scripture. We'll be reading this morning from Judges in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, and then skipping down to 24 and 25. In your red pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 180. And it seems like we're in a pattern here with um, the setting of this is in a pattern where the nation of Israel and God, um, the people of Israel have this pattern of not listening, not obeying. And so as we start in verse, uh, verse 1, we have the Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You're barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. And as if for emphasis, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering the Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman said to her, went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. In verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtal. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. This morning, we're looking at, as you may have guessed, uh, a man in the Old Testament named Samson. We're going to try to get through his whole life uh, this morning. And it's full of interesting and uh, atrocious (laughs) events. Um, But, uh, you know, Samson was born at a time where they didn't have, obviously, they didn't have photography. Um, But he's, he's known as the strongest man in the world. Uh, there's, there's never really been anyone with the strength of Samson. And so I did, I was just really curious what he would have looked like. So I did some digging around and, uh, just kind of looked at what scholars were saying. So if you want to throw a picture on the screen there, as far as we understand, this is the best act. This is the most accurate picture we could have of what Samson, again, just extremely strong and, uh, just long hair. So just to give you a kind of a visual as we walk through, uh, this morning, if you can just sort of picture that coming off of a week of day camp. So give me a break. And we'll leave that unspoken for people listening on the podcast. So what's going on? Anyways, you can take it off the screen now, Rachel. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Didn't know that one would go over, so thank you for laughing. Okay, so this morning our, li- our story takes place in the land of Canaan. And I've got a map up there. This is a picture of Egypt and where modern-day Israel is now. Um, I'm sure it looks familiar to most of you. Uh, And the land of Canaan, which is right there. There it is. And this is a very special land. But this is not 
Uh, which is, in order to really fully understand what's going on in the story, you kind of need to back up just a few generations because the Israelites had really just begun to live here. They were living here a few generations ago, and they were living there not as free people, but as slaves to the Egyptians. Egypt was one of the greatest empires uh, in the world at that time, and the Israelites were slaves. And they were there for hundreds of years as slavery, and they were starting to wonder what God was going to do about his promise that he made generations before, and that they were supposed to live in the land of Canaan. And they were supposed to be a mighty nation, and they were supposed to have, uh, their, their descendants were supposed to be more than, you could, more than the stars in the sky that you could count. But they're living in Egypt as slaves. And so one day God decides to act. And uh, we're going to look at the story later in the summer, but God calls a leader named Moses. And he brings the people from here to Canaan. But it's during that journey, it's during that process, that Israel experiences God in amazing, amazing, way, amazing ways. They experience his power, his plague-causing power, which, which causes the greatest empire in the world to let go of their labor force. This sea-splitting power, a river-stopping power. They experience his presence, a guiding cloud of fire, a cloud that guides them during the day, a meeting with Moses and, and the tabernacle, glowing because they've been in his presence. They experience his provision, food appearing in the desert every morning miraculously, water springing out of rocks when they had nothing to drink, and victory after victory in battle as they encountered their enemies. Amazing experiences of God's power, his presence, and his provision. And Moses eventually dies, and a new leader raises up. His name is Joshua, and he takes them over the Jordan River into this new land of Canaan. And then we come to the book of Judges. And Judges begins with a verse that one of my Bible teachers taught me, uh, in his opinion, was one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. He says this in Joshua, or Judges 2, verse 10, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Joshua, their leader, dies. And then it says this, that after, after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. This whole generation experiences God's power, his presence, and his provision in amazing, amazing ways. And then Joshua dies, and a whole generation rises up who knows nothing about those stories, nothing about what God had done. And now we enter into the book of Judges. And Judges is probably one of the darkest times in the history of Israel. And there's a cycle that exists. And it, uh, Sharon mentioned it this, uh, just as she was reading. This cycle exists where the people rebel. They want nothing to do with God. They embrace the idols of the Canaanites. And God doesn't like this, becomes upset. And then because of that, there is oppression. And the Canaanites living there begin to take over and cause oppression to the Israelites. And what happens is the people over after a period of time cry out and they realize their rejection of God and they cry out in repentance. And God raises up a judge and the judge delivers them from their oppressors and there's peace in the land and it's for different amounts of time. But then after that judge dies, the people forget again and the people rebel. And this cycle 
happens about eight or nine times throughout the book of Judges. It just keeps getting worse and worse, and the rebellion, rejection is worse, and the judge ends up getting worse, and the people's repentance is more half-hearted, and it just keeps going over and over again. And Samson is at the end of that cycle, the end of the cycles of cycles. Samson is the last of the God-appointed, of God-appointed judges for, Israelite, for the Israelites. And so we want to look at his life. We want to look at the story of Samson this morning. And so Samson's story, if, you're, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be kind of skimming through the, through the different events of his life. But I'm going to be starting in Judges chapter 13 and moving along from there. And so Samson's story begins uh, even before he's born, as we, as we heard read this morning. Samson is really the only judge that was chosen even before he was even born, even before he was even conceived. Uh, his mother was unable to give birth. And an angel of the Lord visits her and says, you're going to have a child. And I, I really like this verse. It says, then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. <laughs> very awesome. And the angel of the Lord says to them that their son is going to, and this is very important. This is what the son is going to do. This is the role that Samson is going to play. He's going to take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Samson is going to lead the people, finally play that part in the cycle of delivering them from their oppressors. But as we see from his life that this does not play out too well. And so they're not too sure as parents what they should think about this. They're, they're actually a little bit unsure of whether this actually happened or who this man was. And so they say, God, would you send this man again to tell us? Tell us, is this actually going to happen? And so the angel of the Lord appears again. And he says that you are going to have a son and you are to raise him up as a Nazarite. And the father, he wants even more instructions. He says, I want to know specifically, well, how should I do this? How are we supposed to raise him up? What are the rules we're supposed to live by? The angel doesn't give them these rules. He says, he just assures them that he's from God. And he says, the only instruction I have for you is that you would raise him up as a Nazarite. Now, <clears throat> a Nazarite, is, the Nazarite vow is something that comes from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 21, if anyone's interested. And there are three basic conditions for the Nazarite vow. The first is that you're not to cut your hair. So you're supposed to live your whole life without cutting your hair. The second is that you're not supposed to drink anything that comes from the vine, whether that be alcoholic or non-alcoholic. If it's coming from the vine, you're not supposed to touch it. And the last is that you're not to have contact with anything that's dead, that's considered unclean. Now, are these just random things that were thought of, or is there purpose and meaning behind them? The answer is there's purpose and meaning behind them. Uh, the Nazarite vow was very specifically... Um, it, was, it was designed so that you're, you're showing God that you're looking with great intensity and focus on him. It's really, it, it's, you're saying that I'm going to live by the strictest rules of the ceremonial cleanliness rules that God had laid out. And so God had very specific reasons for these rules, and, the, and this is like the strictest version of these rules. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's saying to God, I'm going to be focused and steadfast. I'm going to live to the most... To the, to the letter of the law, to the highest degree, so that I'll show you how devoted I am. And usually it was supposed to be for a set period of time. 
It was just supposed to be for a period of time of focus, and then it would end. But Samson's uh, was supposed to be for his whole life. And it was supposed to be something you entered in voluntarily. But Samson's was, was actually chosen for him. And his mother actually had to participate in this as well. And so eventually Samson is born. And he's given the name Samson. And Samson is actually a word that means the um, uh, little son, which means not S-O-N, but S-U-N. And so the son was a Canaanite god. And the fact that they called him little son means that you can see already there's lots of clues in this story. But the, the Israelites were embracing many um, aspects of Canaanite worship. And so he's, he's meant to be devoted to Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. But even in small, subtle ways, you can see that they, weren't, they were already embracing the religion of the Canaanites. And so uh, we're, chapter 13 ends with Samson being born. And we head into the second phase of Samson's life. And that starts in chapter 14. And so Samson is a man now. And he decides one day that he would like to get married. He'd like to have a wife. And so he comes home and he declares to his parents that I have found a woman to be my bride. And this woman is a Philistine. Now, what was Samson's, why, why was Samson appointed to this role? So he would take the lead from delivering the Israelites from the Philistines. And now he's marrying a Philistine, which is an odd strategy for delivering them from Uh, their captivity. But he's insistent in this. And the parents are concerned. They say, Samson, wouldn't you rather marry someone from our tribe, from the Israelite? Wouldn't you rather have someone that is one of our own? And he's actually defiant to his father. And in a quite harsh way, he says, "Get get her for me. She is the right one for me. And uh, that's more than just disrespectful. Actually, in, the, in that time, the, the father had, and had a, a very important role in selecting the spouse of, the, of their child. And so for him to just utterly reject the father's wishes was a big deal. And so we are already beginning to is like. But at the same time, there is this very interesting verse at this, uh, right after Samson's statement about who he wants. And it gives us some insight into how God's, how God's sovereignty works. It says in verse 4 of chapter 14, His parents did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. And so this is, a, this is something that Samson should not have been doing. He should not have been marrying a Philistine. He's being disobedient to his, to his father. And yet, in some way, this was from the Lord. That God was working even in Samson's disobedience, even in Samson's sin, God was at work. God was committed to his promise of delivering the Israelites. And he knew that they were at a place where they didn't even really care that the Philistines were ruling over them. They were embracing them. They were becoming assimilated with them. They were embracing their idols. They were worshiping their gods. They didn't really care. It was unlike any other time in history where they're crying out to God, saying, save us from these people. They didn't even really care. They were fine with it. And so God has to do something 
And so he's starting, he's planting the seeds that's going to create this division between the Israelites. And so we use our sinfulness to bring about deliverance. And so as Samson is going to collect his wife one day, he's going to pick her up and bring her back home. He is attacked by a lion. And uh, Samson, again, he's really strong. And so he's not really scared of this. And Samson ends up killing the lion with his bare hands. Now, this is not just a cool story of how tough Samson is, um, although it is. Uh, I, so I personally sometimes uh, fantasize about being attacked by wild animals just to see how I would do with just my bare hands. I don't know if any other guys do that. But uh, I think that if I had a stick, if I had a knife, I think I could take a black bear personally. But we can talk about that later. Samson didn't even have a knife. He just has his hands. And he kills, he kills that lion. Now, this, like I said, this isn't just a story of Samson being tough. This is telling us that Samson is not caring about his vow. He was, it was very important that he was not to touch anything dead or unclean. And he's, he's ripping apart that lion with his hands. And more than that, he goes later, and he, there's some bees that have formed in the carcass of the lion, and there's a, a nest, and he goes and he takes honey from it, and he eats it, and then he gives it to his parents, who are also on this vow, and he gives it to them without them even realizing that they have done it. It's, the reason we're being told this is because Samson is not caring about what God, God's instructions for his life. Samson has no regard for God. And in this next chapter of his life, we begin to see how violent, how impulsive, how sexually addicted, how emotionally immature, and how selfish he is. He gets much, much worse. And so Samson decides he wants to do a little gambling. And he presents a riddle to uh, the Philistines about this lion that he'd killed. And he makes a bet about whether they can solve it or not. And they're having a hard time solving this riddle. And then they decide, we're going to talk to Samson's wife-to-be and get her to get the answer out of Samson. And then she can tell us, and then we'll win this bet. And so that's exactly what happens. And they win the bet, and Samson is furious. He's so furious that he ends up killing 30 people in rage. He does not do this to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. He does this because he cannot control his temper and he needs to pay his debts. And it's this event that causes this chain reaction that brings Samson lower and lower and creates more and more division between Israel and the Philistines. Because Samson's acts because he acts this way, his wife is taken. They're not actually married yet, but his wife-to-be is taken away from him. And then he, when he realizes this, he does this really bizarre thing. It says in verse 4 of chapter 15, So he went out and caught 300 foxes, and he tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and lit the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. So he gets these foxes, he MacGyvers up some little torch, and he lets them off into the fields, and they burn down their crops, which is a big, big deal. It's very costly. 
And so, as you can imagine, this does not go very well. This does not go over well with the Philistines. And they respond by killing. And that creates even more, even more anger in Samson. And, and even more division between them. Because now the, now the Israelites are, are actually against Samson. They're saying, you're causing too much trouble. We don't, we don't want trouble right now. And so they decide they're going to they're capture Samson. They're going to tie him up. And they're going to present him to the Philistines and say, take care of him. We're tired of this conflict. And as they do that, Samson breaks free from the ropes. And he is very upset. And in that moment, he kills 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. It's gruesome. He's out of control. His anger is controlling him. And so... That chapter ends with Samson finally leading Israel. And it says that he led Israel for 20 years. But it says something different about Samson's leadership over the Israelites. It says, in in verse 20 of chapter 15, it says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Ordinarily, when the judges lead, there's peace in the land, and that's what's mentioned. But here it's in the days of the Philistines. So Samson is ruling Israel, but he has not saved Israel from the Philistines, not from spiritual idolatry, not from physical oppression. He's just the leader, and they're too scared to touch him because he's really strong. And so we move to the next chapter of Samson's life, and that is Samson and Delilah. And so here we are 20 years later, and Samson is being enticed into a dangerous situation because of his weakness for women. And Samson one day decides to go to Philistine territory. He goes to their capital, and he meets with a woman there. And the Philistines find out that he's there, and they devise a plan, and they surround his home. And he's in a city which is gated. And they, th- they think that when, when dawn comes, there's enough of them that they can actually capture Samson. And so he catches wind of this, and he decides to leave in the middle of the night. And just to rub it in their face, as he's leaving, he rips the gates off of the city walls, and he carries them away to the top of a hill. And the city is left vulnerable and open. He's becoming increasingly reckless. And then it says in chapter, or chapter 16, verse 4, Some time later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And as, again, the Philistines are realizing that Samson's vulnerability, his weakness, is women. And so they create a plan. They see an opportunity that maybe if we can get Delilah... To, tell, to get Samson to tell her what the secret of his strength is, then maybe, just maybe, we can defeat him. If we figure out what the secret is. And Delilah thinks this over, and she is finally persuaded to betray him. Maybe because of greed for money. Maybe because um, she had the appeal of being this Philistine national hero. But she, maybe she didn't even love Samson. But she decides to betray him. And so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson, just wondering, can you tell me the secret to what makes you so strong? 
I'm going to need a volunteer for this, briefly. Um, someone that's got a really juicy secret that they don't want anyone to know. Is there anyone in the... <laughs> uh, not actually. Uh, someone who likes Timbits. Does anyone like Timbits in the crowd? There are not very many hands. Okay, Nick, you can come on up. Come on up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> come over here. Okay, do you like Timbits? Okay, I'm just going to give this to you. Don't eat it, okay? Can you hold on to that? Okay, don't eat it. Okay, can, can you give it back to me for a second? You can trust me. Okay, let's try this again. Here you go, Nick. Oh, oh no. Oh, no, no, no. Here, can you give it back to me? Uh, Nick, I'm serious. This, this time I'm serious. You can... Oh, you can... Thank you. Okay. Would you like a 10-bit? Uh, you, you can choose. Which one do you want? Okay, can I see it? There we go. Thank you very much. Nick, Nick, you can even take one extra Timbit for being a good example. Thank you. Now, Nick here learned after... You can go sit down now. Yep. <laughs> Nick learned within one example not to trust me and, you know, kind of half trust me the second time and the third time. He trusted me or didn't trust me at all. Samson is really falling for the same trick. He's, Delilah is asking this question, and immediately she betrays his trust. Immediately. And Samson falls for it again. And then it happens again. And the, the Philistines, they, she, she tells, he tells her a lie because he's somewhat suspicious. And then they go, and, or sorry, she goes and tells the Philistines, and they come in and they try to seize him, and they find out it's a lie. He still has his strength. And this happens several times in a row. And then it says, and this is one of my favorite um, favorite verses in the whole story in chapter verse 15 of chapter 16 she says samson how can you say i love you when you won't confide in me she's upset because he's not telling her the truth this is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength and with such nagging she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it <laughs> no comment So Samson finally gives in, and he tells her the truth. And we could go into reasons why. It seems like he was motivated more and more over the love of danger. It may be that he was blind because of lust. Maybe because he was some, some kind of, de of denial, which is, happens in relationships like that. But for whatever reason, Samson tells her his secret, and she comes in, and she tells the Philistines, and they capture Samson. And this time, it's the truth. And his hair is cut. He has no strength. And he is seized. And it says that the first thing they did was they gouged out his eyes, and they brought him to the capital of their nation, Gaza. And they bound him with bronze shackles, and they set him into grinding grain in the prison. 
So Samson is finally just like any other man. And for the first time in the whole book of Judges, a judge has been defeated. But it says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And then verse 23 of chapter 16 says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled. And this is the last chapter of his life, Samson's death. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they called, out, they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. And while they were in high, sorry, and when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hands, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. And so the true contest here was not really between Samson and the Philistines. The true contest was between the God of the Israelites and the God of the Philistines. God was interesting, not, interested not just in rescuing his people from the oppression of the Philistines. He was interested in rescuing them from the idolatry that enslaved them, enslaved their hearts. And it seemed as though Dagon had won. They were in the temple of Dagon. The people celebrated the victory of Dagon. And the scene is set for the second time in Samson's life. And he says, for the second time, we hear him say a prayer. And his prayer now is very different. He says, O sovereign Lord, remember me. Strengthen me one more time and let me get revenge on the Philistines. This might be the first time in Samson's life that he is actually exercising any degree of faith. And it's in this moment that his strength returns. I would say it has nothing to do with how long his hair was at that time. It had everything to do with that Samson finally was putting his faith in God. And we see a dependency on God. Strengthen me once more, is what he says. Samson's real temptation was to believe that he was blessed by God because he deserved it. But now he was finally going to God by grace. Strengthen me. And with that prayer, Samson stretched out his arms, pushed the pillars over, and causing the whole auditorium to collapse taking out thousands of the Philistines and their rulers. And the, this is the most important moment of Samson's life, was his death. The most faithful event of his life was the manner of his death, and the most triumphant episode of his life was his death. At last, Samson performs the role that he had been called to do from the very beginning, to lead the people in freedom from the Philistines. So I just want to close with two quick takeaways. The first is this, that throughout, the first, throughout all of the book of Judges, there is a theme of eyes. Many chapters start with, in those days they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The book of Judges ends like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Very subtly, over the, over the generations, the Israelites switch their definition of sin from what is right in God's eyes to what is right in our eyes. And this teaches us two very important things. The first is that sin is primarily a violation of, is not primarily a violation of our own standard. It's a, primar, it's a violation of God's standard. We so easily switch 
our definition to, if it feels right to us, then it's okay. But that's not how sin works. Sin is blinding. We can become blind to the things in our life. We can sincerely believe there is nothing wrong with what we're doing. But more often than not, sin is actually good things that we've made ultimate things. More often, sin is not the big bad things in our life. It's the things that we've made more important than God. Thomas Brooke, who's a Puritan writer, says, Satan paints sin with virtuous colors. The second thing I want to take away from this is that there's this, even within Samson's life, there's a theme of eyes. Samson, when he decides to choose his wife, says, she is right in my own eyes. That's the literal translation. And at the end of Samson's life, his eyes are removed. It actually took Samson to be blind to finally see God's grace. It wasn't until Samson had his eyes gouged out that he could truly see himself and truly see God. Sight isn't always what we think it is. It took him becoming completely blind to finally see. And so what is it going to take us to finally see? And although Samson finally had eyes of faith, he was an insufficient savior. He was. We need a better savior than Samson. We need a better ruler. Samson and Jesus actually have a lot in common. Samson was a savior to the Israelites. Both Samson and Jesus were betrayed by someone who acted as a friend. Both were handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both were tortured and chained. Both put on public display to be mocked. Both were asked to perform before their deaths. Both died with their arms outstretched. Both appeared completely struck down by their enemies. Yet both in their death completely crushed their enemies. Samson the Philistines, Jesus the ultimate enemy. In Samson's death, he showed that Dagon, the god of the Philistines, could be defeated. And in Jesus' death, he showed that the power of sin can be defeated. Both by becoming weak, they demonstrated true strength. But there is a crucial difference between Samson and Jesus. The first is that Samson's death was because of his disobedience. But Jesus' death was because of our disobedience. Samson's life was full of sin and disobedience, and it led him right into the hands of his enemies. Jesus' life was full of obedience and submission, and he willingly walked into the hands of his enemies. Samson deserved everything that came his way and fought against it. Jesus deserved no part of what he got, and he humbly embraced it. Samson died because of his disobedience. Jesus died because of our disobedience. Samson delivered Israel for that time alone, but Jesus delivers us once and forever. His victory was short-lived, but Jesus' victory is unending. And the good news this morning is that we're invited to live into that victory. That's the good news. In both Samson and Jesus, we see the pattern of victory. By our weakness, we get strength. Admit you are unrighteous and you will become righteous. And only those, only those of us this morning that know their own weakness will receive God's strength, the strength that enables us to avoid the kinds of pitfalls that Samson's life fell into. Let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you that you are a Savior that is unlike Samson, where he is uncontrolled and filled with anger 
and rage. You are wise and you are loving. Where he reacted in rage against his victory, you respond in love against your enemies. And so, God, we thank you that you offer us that victory this morning. We thank you that in Jesus, we can have true victory. And so, Father, would you help us to see Jesus as a precious Savior again this morning, the one who rules our hearts with grace and love. pray these things in Jesus' name.